0: Party USA. My name is Jay, I'm your host, and I've got a really interesting one today. One that most people have probably never heard of. The United States Pirate Party, or the Pirate National Convention. Whichever term you want to use, although I guess technically Pirate National Convention is the correct one. Before I get started though, I want to thank my listeners. I actually got 19 plays on the last episode. Might not sound like much, but hey, This is a small podcast. I'm just starting out. This is my first podcast, actually. And I really do appreciate all of you who are listening. If you have any suggestions, ideas for the show, or a party you would like me to focus on next, please send me a message. I've got the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram links all in the show notes. I've got an email link in the show notes. Just get in touch with me. I promise you I'll listen. I'll think about it. See what I can do. Also, If you would like to see the show grow and get more listeners and see more people educated about third parties in this country, please leave me a review. It will really help the show and it will make it easier for people to find it. With that, thank you again and let's get started on the Pirate Party. For these values, we have been derided as pirates. For our hope that every person may be free to access all of human knowledge, we have been called pirates. For our belief that one need not ask permission to participate in governance, industry, culture, and other aspects of society, we have been called pirates. For our insistence that citizens should not be surveilled and distrusted as if they are criminals, we have been called pirates. For our rejection of authority and profit-seeking when it does not serve the common good of all people, we have been called pirates. We reclaim this label of pirate and abjure its derogatory incendiary implication. We are pirates. We stand for the liberty, equality, and solidarity of all human beings and against all threats they may face. I just read that statement directly off the Pirate Party website. That is their explanation and justification for using the term pirate in their name. But where did this come from? Well, let's get started at the beginning. The first Pirate Party was started in Sweden on the first of january two thousand six. That's when the website went live. It was created because the founder, Rick Fockfinch, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, decided that something had to be done since the Swedish government and politicians didn't seem too interested in the debate over changes to the copyright law in 2005. In June of that same year, a University of Georgia graduate named Brent Allison founded the American Pirate Party. His main reason for starting the United States Pirate Party was a desire to abolish the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. I'm not going to go over the whole. Digital Millennium Copyright Act, or DMCA, but it was enacted in 1998 in order to implement two 1996 treaties of the World Intellectual Property Organization. Mr. Allison's concerns with the DMCA seem limited to two main areas, copyrights and patents. Under the DMCA, copyright length lasted for 95 years after publication or 70 years after the death of the author. Patents, which do not result in significant progress, would expire after 20 years. The removal of the DMCA should drop those numbers to 14 years for copyrights and 4 years for patents. While 2006 was the year that Mr. Allison created the party, it wasn't an official party of any state. In the 2007-2008 election cycle, there was an attempt made to officially register the party in Utah. Utah was chosen because they only needed 2,000 signatures, but unfortunately, they failed to collect the required number of statements of support. The first official party was created in 2011 in Massachusetts. It was the first legally recognized pirate party in the U.S. In 2012, a coalition of state pirate parties formed the Pirate National Committee. By July of that year, the PNC drafted and adopted a new constitution. This constitution was actually expanding its values. While it was originally started to fight the DMCA, the Pirate Party realized that it had to create something broader. It had to do something more than just that. So, they created this new constitution and expanded its values. We'll go into those values now. I'm going to read these values directly off of their website. Number one, we stand for open culture. Number two, we stand for transparency and openness. Number three, we stand for individual privacy. Number four, we are anti-monopoly. Number five, we stand for individuals over institutions. Number six, we are a post-ideological values-based meritocracy. Number seven, we are egalitarian. Number eight, we actively practice these values. So I'm not going to go over everything, but just a quick overlook on a couple things. Number two, we stand for transparency and openness. Their version of that is government activity should not be hidden from the public. I find it very interesting that looking through some old transcripts of some of their meetings, which they host publicly for anyone to attend on IRC, they had a discussion on July 15, 2019 on whether or not they should form a PAC. They saw a lot of problems with it. One of the biggest issues they had with forming a PAC would be the fact that it's not transparent enough. They want everything out in the open, and they believe government should do the same thing. They decided to look at a 527 instead, but never made a decision in that particular meeting. One of their members was not present. Regardless, I do find it interesting that not only do they publicly place all of their meetings on IRC so anyone can join, whether they are a member of the party or not, but they are more than willing to sacrifice what would make their life easier in forming a PAC in order to uphold their values. Of transparency and honesty. It shows a lot of character in their party and the fact that they are willing to stick to their beliefs no matter what. They're not going to take an easier road so that they can change things later. Their values and the values of their party will actually come first. Something you don't normally hear from political parties. The next one I'm going to look at is number five. We stand for individuals over institutions. What they say is universal human rights apply only to human beings and not to corporations, limited liability organizations, or other group entities. I haven't seen anything specifically about this, but under that definition, I hope they apply it to the Pirate Party itself. Regardless, many people have been against Citizens United since it became a law. This law has made it where corporations can pretty much buy elections in a lot of people's opinions. They can donate so much money to political campaigns. It makes it really hard for the opponents to win I don't know how well that goes over with most national politicians but hey I agree with it let's get rid of the citizens united let's get rid of money in politics and let the people rule themselves like it's supposed to be number seven we're egalitarian we believe in equality and a level playing field we accept input from all sources and we value all people equally this one sounds really interesting Because, in other words, you don't have an excuse. As long as everything's equal and level, work hard and make your own future. That's the way I take it. And having spoken to a member of the Ohio Pirate Party recently, he saw it the same way. And I'm not saying racism doesn't exist or anything of that nature. What I'm saying is, if we all viewed people equally, and we didn't let race or gender or a religious bias separate us then everyone would have the opportunity to succeed based on their own work and this is what they seem to be interested in. Number eight is one of the most important in my opinion. We actively practice these values. We hold ourselves accountable for our own adherence to these principles. It is really hard to think of a politician or a political party or anyone who deals with government in any way to hold themselves to their own values. We've seen it time and time again. Politicians claim they want term limits, but they never bring up a bill for it, or they vote against bills for term limits. We see politicians talk about bringing down the national debt and never do anything about it. It's important that the party holds itself and its members to its values. And this is basically the idea that you're responsible for yourself. You are responsible for what you do and you have to hold yourself to your own values. I can respect that. I mean, it's something that you don't hear very often, but most people do try and live their lives by their own values, regardless of where those values come from. Sometimes that does cause conflict, though. I mean, when, when you're raised with religious values that do not conform with the legal values that we see every day, then there can, can be some conflict. We all know this. But we'll see how this works out for the Pirate Party. It is a growing party, and it is a very young party, so I'm not sure what's going to happen, but we will see. Moving on, next I'm going to look at the platform for the Pirate Party. It's actually a very small platform, and the headings are as follows. Putting people before corporations. Opening up government. Defending your privacy. Promoting culture and knowledge through copyright reform. Fostering innovation by abolishing patents. Each of these actually fits well with their values. Putting people before corporations. In other words, people need to decide government, not corporations. The Pirate Party feels that corporations have way too much power in this country. Opening up government. Once again, the people need to control their destiny. They need to control their government. Make government accountable to the people. To the voters. That's what this is about. Defending your privacy. They specifically mention the Patriot Act, illegal NSA wiretapping, or local surveillance cameras in the platform. In other words, mass surveillance of the public is wrong. We have a right to privacy under the Fourth Amendment. We all know this. And let's be honest here, we don't need the government seeing everything we do in public. I see nothing in the platform that deals with criminal investigations. And I believe that's a good thing. I can understand a temporary surveillance on, on a suspected criminal within reason. In other words, it goes through the proper procedures and the police get a warrant for the surveillance. I'm not sure if they have considered that within the party and within this platform, but it is something to think about here. The last two may actually seem a little odd to people. Most people believe that if they put out of work they want the copyright, which is true. And there's always been a form of copyright within the United States. They want to lessen the length of the copyright. Not to steal money from the author or from the person who created the media, but instead seek to spread the knowledge and culture that comes from that media. This is directly from the founding of the U.S. Pirate Party. Many of the things that they wish to change about the current copyright laws come directly from the DMCA of 1998. They see that bill as something which catered towards corporate interests at the expense of the public. The final point is fostering innovation by abolishing patents. I'm not sure I completely agree with what they're saying here. According to them, it actually stifles innovation. They believe patents lead researchers and inventors from sharing their ideas until after the patent is applied for. In addition to this, they also mention how hard it is to use an existing invention inside of a new one because of the patent process. I understand both of these. The only thing I'm curious about is how many people would actually be willing to invent new things if, within a few days, the invention is stolen and used by someone else legally. If there's no patent law, then they can't be protected. Corporations could easily manufacture an invention much cheaper and easier than an individual person. I guess it's a toss-up here. I'm not sure I completely agree with it, but I do understand what they're saying, especially when they talk about the drug companies. It's easy to believe that drug prices would come down dramatically if patents weren't there. In other words, it would be much easier for companies to make generic versions of brand-name drugs. Of course, this could also cause manufacturers to stop producing new drugs. Why research new drugs when they won't have the corner on the market for very long, if at all? I'm going to be honest with you, after episodes on the Libertarian Party and the Green Party, where I had to read through pages of platform, it is nice to see a small platform for a party, especially such a young party, but I did leave off one topic, and that is their positions on other issues. I'm going to read this directly from the site. The scope of the Pirate Party was originally limited to a few core issues. However, now the United States Pirate Party, in common with many other Pirate Parties, is drafting policies on a variety of different issues. We need your help in deciding positions on every policy that matters to U.S. voters. Please attend a PNC meeting and see how you can join our platform committee. As I've already said, their meetings seem to be held on IRC pretty much exclusively. In case you're not familiar with it, IRC stands for Internet Relay Chat. In other words, you connect to a server, join a chat room, and can join in on the conversation. IRC tends to be considered a bit outdated as far as technology goes. In the past, you had to connect through a dedicated client, but the Pirate Party has made it a little bit easier. They actually have a web-based client that you can connect to through their website. There will be a link to that in the show notes. I'm sorry if the explanation of IRC seems a little off-topic, but my son mentioned earlier he didn't know what it was, so I thought it might be good to give a little explanation. Back to the subject at hand though, it is nice to see that such a young party is looking for input. I would like to know how well that's going to work in the future because right now the pirate party seems to be keeping itself strictly with its values. It doesn't seem to want to veer away from those values much, but with additional input from other members and people who are just now joining or just now learning about the party. They may actually veer farther and farther away from those values. Many political parties have lost their way. I'm wondering if this party will as well. I've been calling this party a young party, I've been calling it a small party, but how big is it exactly? Well, it's actually in 11 states. California, Florida, Georgia, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New York, Oregon, Washington, and Wisconsin are all part of the PNC. Earlier I mentioned speaking with a member of the Ohio Party. Well, to be honest with you, he was the chairman of the Ohio Party, but they have chosen not to join the PNC, at least not yet. Looking at that list of states, I noticed both California and New York. Both of these states have a high population and are very important in politics. So why is it, with 2020 being the third presidential election cycle in which the Pirate Party has had official parties, Remember, the Massachusetts State Pirate Party was formed in 2011. Why then have so few people heard of the party? Well, one thing is, they have not entered a presidential candidate during any of those three election cycles. Unlike the Libertarian Party, who the first year they were formed actually had a presidential ticket. I bring this up for a couple of reasons. Number one... I found something on the frequently asked questions page that I thought was interesting. They actually have the question, how are you different from other third parties? I'm going to read their answer now. We're focusing all our efforts on building our movement from the bottom up, getting elected and enacting change locally before shaking up the state and national scene. That's the only way to effectively challenge the two party system and we feel other third parties have abandoned this strategy. We also lean younger than most political parties, third or major. Most of our activists are under 35 and our many older activists are young at heart. We feel this gives us a fresh per- perspective on politics and activism. Yes, that's right. They are not running for national elections. At least not yet. Right now, they are more interested in building the party in local elections and making a change there. I actually agree with this. I believe that is how a third party should run. But regardless of my opinion, Let's see how well they've done. Their website does not have a section to list people who are in office under the Pirate Party. But I did speak to the chairman, the national chairman for the party. And asking him that question, he said that he believes there is only one person in office currently, and that is in Massachusetts. But they have another person who is getting ready to run for a federal office. He is running for a House of Representatives position. And once again, that will be in Massachusetts. With it being the oldest official chapter, it makes sense that they are a bit more organized than the others. But regardless of that, it is nice to know that they are running for offices. And I really do hope that they do well in more local elections. The only other thing I can think of to mention for the Pirate Party is it actually seems to have a lack of an internet presence. This actually surprised me. While the party is young, as I've been saying, it's only been around for 13 years unofficially, and the first official chapter was in Massachusetts, and it's only been around for nine. In addition to that, the original founding, the USPP, was technically dissolved when the PNC was created. And the PNC's only been around since 2012, so eight years. Despite how young it is, or maybe because of how young it is, It seems like the party should be embracing technology and the internet more. Its social medias and websites seem to be way out of date. I spoke to Mr. Klein, who is the PNC chairman, about that. It came up in our conversation, at least. And his explanation is that it is a small party. Everything they have is done on a volunteer basis. So a lot of times people don't have time to update things. It's a very understandable reason but I have to wonder if it is actually hurting the party and the cause. I'm not sure, but hopefully the party will grow. I do like some of the things I've read about it so far, and speaking with a couple people from within the party does make me believe that it could have a positive impact on the politics of this nation. I know this was a short overview of this party, but really, there's not much more I can go into. And after last week's episode, with all the history of the Green Party, I thought it would be nice if I would actually look at a party that most people have probably never heard of. I'm going to be honest with you, I think I first heard of this party a couple months ago when I first started considering doing this podcast. So it was fun looking into it and maybe this episode has piqued your interest a little bit and maybe you'll check it out on IRC and talk to some of the members. It would be nice to see another party grow in this country. So today on my final thoughts. I'm going to actually answer a question from Twitter. I got in a discussion with someone and they asked me why I'm no longer a part of the Libertarian Party. They said they have heard many people who were formerly libertarians or formerly Greens or formerly voters and yet there's no one to actually fill the councils that they need and take positions of control. This conversation initially started with a comment that I made questioning something that Joe Jorgensen had posted on Twitter. The thing is, there are actually a couple of reasons why I'm no longer a libertarian, but one of the main ones is that you are not allowed to question a libertarian candidate. They are always seeking to get into the debate, but I have to wonder how they would handle the debate moderator questioning their candidate. You see, when I was a libertarian, I wasn't always thrilled with the candidate that the party put forward. And I understood I didn't really have a say in that. But, with me, I have my own opinions. And if I see a policy that I don't necessarily agree with, I will question it. Whether it is within a party or within a candidate. And I knew that if I spoke out against a candidate, people would say I wasn't really a libertarian. Now, I have a problem with that. When I joined the party, I joined the party based on principle. I did not join the party to blindly follow anyone. I do not blindly follow anyone whether in politics or anything else. Regardless of my opinion I will look at both sides of an issue and I will make my judgment based on the person and their stated policies. And this has come up since I've left the Libertarian Party as well because many times I will go through and if I see something on a political post that I don't necessarily agree with, then I will gladly state my opinion, or I will ask a question for clarification. One of the more recent ones, and yes, I know I am picking on the Libertarians again, but Joe Jorgensen stating that she wanted to disband the Department of Education. I find that odd, seeing that she is still, as far as I know, employed by Clemson University. Clemson University is a public university which receives tax money from both state and federal sources as well as grants from federal sources such as the National Institute of Health. It does not seem right to me that someone who is running on the Libertarian platform would be making a living from sources that are funded by tax revenue. On top of that, She is currently employed by the university, once again as far as I know because she is still listed in their staff directory, I checked that just to make sure, but on the other hand she is claiming to want to defund them from their federal sources of income. This seems very hypocritical to me and it makes me curious exactly how sincere she is. So I have asked that question on multiple posts that she has made about defunding and eliminating the Department of Education. Each time that I bring this up I am pretty much told it doesn't matter that I shouldn't be questioning. I am hurting the cause by questioning. Why are you going to join any party and blindly follow? This is as I see people who are pretty much fangirling or fanboying over Joe Jorgensen liking their posts, or following them back, or something of that nature. To me, it seems very cultish. I'm not actually calling the party a cult, but I am saying that people, when they join the party, they seem to get in this mindset that they have to follow the candidate, and the candidate is a rock star. Guess what? I don't follow rock stars like that. I don't follow celebrities. And I choose to follow my own opinion, my own mind, my own thought process. And if my thought process says, well, this policy doesn't make sense, or what this candidate is doing doesn't make sense, then I'm going to speak out about it. That's why I'm no longer a libertarian. I do not feel that I should be stuck with a party that pretty much says I have to follow whatever the candidate says. And I can't question I can't ask for a clarification. They have to be treated like a rock star. They have to be treated like a celebrity. I know I rambled a little bit on this one, but I went with my train of thought there. Pretty much, it just boils down to, I don't follow celebrities. If they want to treat their candidate as a celebrity, I'm out. I don't have to follow that way. Now, in the same way that I am perfectly willing... To either question or criticize a candidate, I'm also willing to give credit where credit is due. Example, also on Twitter, Howie Hawkins posted about his military service record, something that I mentioned on this podcast already. He posted that he did join the Marines when his draft number was called. He did continue to protest the war, but the thing is, he showed a lot of character. By not trying to escape to Canada or dodge draft in some way. So for that, I have a lot of respect for the man. And I stated as much when I commented on his post. Going back to the original conversation, though, that caused me to decide on this final thought. The original topic was campaign finance. The Libertarian Party is seeking 5% of the popular vote for both ballot access in certain states as well as gaining campaign financing from the federal government in 2024. I asked about that since it seemed odd that a party that is against taxes would take tax money to fund their campaigns from the federal government. It was pointed out to me that I was incorrect. That money comes from voluntary contributions. In other words, there is a checkbox on the 1040 form where you can voluntarily choose to donate $3 to political campaigns. I was under the impression it came from tax money. I will gladly admit that I was wrong, and I am very glad that the person who corrected me pointed it out to me. But I do not like being told I cannot question a candidate, especially not a candidate who will so gladly respond to someone who is fangirling or fanboying over her. A candidate who will talk about, yes, I will go to lunch with you. So, random stuff like that, but will not answer policy questions. It doesn't make sense to me. Regardless, as I said, I was wrong on the original point. But that has not change the fact that I should be able to ask a question and not have members of the party act like I am committing blasphemy. And that's ultimately why I left the Libertarian Party. Because i like to think for myself. That's the end of this show, guys. Thanks again for listening. Remember, all the contact info is going to be in the show notes. The show is now available on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Let me know what you think of the show. Either reviewing or by contacting me directly. I'd like to give out a special thanks to Mr. Lewis, the chairman of the Ohio State Pirate Party, and Mr. Klein, the chairman of the Pirate National Committee. Both of whom gave me a few minutes of their time this week so that I could speak to them and learn a little bit more about the party. Thanks, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, get out and vote in November. As usual, all music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech. and the songs used were Crossing the Chasm, Cold Sober, and Circus of Freaks.